Hey gang, this is Eric. Good to be here with you again today on Tuesday for our last devotion in Paul's epistle to the uh, church in Galatia. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6 verses 6 through 18 today. I hope your summer's off to a good start. Um, My kids just got out of school last week, so I went pretty late this year. Uh, And uh, of course, they're very excited to not be going to school right now. Uh, which means that my house is full of children, uh, but my office isn't where I'm at. And so I get to bring this devotion to you, hopefully without distraction, uh, as we move forward. So let's look at the last part of Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 18, reads like this. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from the flesh will will reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not let themselves keep do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. End of reading, end of epistle. So, uh, very clearly, this letter has been from the very beginning about the fact that man is saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the work of Christ alone, that forgiveness is entirely an act of God, that his love for you is entirely based on what Jesus has done, that no part of you can earn his favor ever. Having made that extraordinarily clear for five chapters, That does not stop Paul or us today from acknowledging that what we do here in our lives actually matters and indeed has an effect on our days to come, both for good or for bad. We know this. This is common sense. If you eat well and you exercise, you tend to be healthier. If you eat donuts and bacon, or sometimes like me, bacon donuts, you won't be healthier. It doesn't have any effect on your standing with God. Jesus has already taken care of that, Paul says. But it probably will shorten your lifespan if you choose to eat poorly and not exercise. In other words, what we do here has consequences on our life. And I'm not telling any tales out of school here. You all know this. The ultimate example of this in scripture might be King David. God refers to him as a man after his own heart. I mean, remember that great phrase? At the end of his life, uh, when all is said and done, God commends him as as an obedient servant of his. 
and yet at the same time, when one reads the life of David, we see something different. We remember his affair with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband to cover it up, and all the lying that went on. Uh, he didn't appear to be a great father and had way too many affairs with women. I mean, remember, the blessed King David had hundreds of concubines. And yet his standing with God didn't change, ultimately because of Christ. But his life indeed sure got difficult because of the decisions he made. His son would rebel against him. People would plot to kill him and so forth. And in this life, in some areas, he reaped what he sowed. And so there is this discussion in our text today. And there are four seeds, if you will, since the language is sowing and reaping, that Paul says the church in Galatia uh, should seek to be sowing. Uh, first of all, uh, he says, as the pastor sows the word, he should from the congregation reap a livelihood. It's found in verse Six, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, the word there for teach is the word katecheo, from which we get the word catechism. Uh, it means one who gives instructions, specifically in the church. So, in general, though not always, Paul is talking about the teaching elder or overseer of the church, the pastor of the church. And he says to the Galatians, hey, if your pastor is teaching you the word, share all good things with the one who teaches. What qualifies as all good things? Well, back then especially, you know, from this passage and others, it at least partially means a pastor should be able to live from the giving of the congregation. 1 Corinthians 9, 14 says, The Lord ordained that they, that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. It does not mean that those who preach the gospel should live high on the hog of the gospel, which sometimes we see happening. It does not mean that the preacher is, to, uh, is expected to get rich off the preaching of the gospel. But it is saying that, yes, uh, we should, pastors should be able to uh, make a living from the gifts of the congregation. At that time, it was like if they brought food and they would bring, uh, you know, clothing and, and things, you know, it would be very physical means of that. Again, 1 Timothy 5, 17 says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of a double stipend, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So he's talking about preachers again there. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So uh, now I don't think Paul is just saying here that when he says share all good things with one who teaches, that that means, um, you know, just sort of financial ends or goals. I also think it means being an encouragement to your leaders. And, and let me just say, as a, as a guy who's been preaching for a while now in my life, you know, it's always great to be encouraged by the people that you shepherd. Um, if, you know, you've preached in a way that is uh, helpful, you know, it's nice to hear that from somebody in your congregation that, you know, the word you brought today really helped me understand something. And I uh, just really appreciate, you know, the ministry that you're, uh, that you're doing here. And, you know, th those kind of things are, are helpful to a pastor. And I mean, I'm just, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, there's a lot of pastors that struggle with discouragement uh, because frankly, there's not a whole lot of indicators to determine um, whether you're doing a good job or not, you know, it's not a numbers game. And uh, so, uh, or at least it shouldn't be a numbers game. Um, and it's hard to quantify, you know, uh, how people's souls are doing. Um, and, and so you labor sometimes and you wonder, is there, 
anything <laughs> is anything resonating here? Am I, you know, preaching? I hope I'm preaching accurately. I hope I'm preaching clearly. Um, all that to say, Paul says, you know, don't be afraid to let the preacher know and to share the good things that you've been given. All right, uh, let's move on. A Christian sows to the Spirit and reaps eternal life. That's the second part that he mentions here in verses 7 and 8. Quote, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The word for mock there is literally to turn up the nose at or to, to ridicule. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to the Spirit, or excuse me, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, the idea that's being expressed here is really the idea that, that Luther mentions when he says a Christian is saved by faith alone, but never a faith that is alone. In other words, uh, faith produces, uh, it produces works. It doesn't produce perfection in this life, um, but the scriptures are, are clear about this, that when you have become a new creation, um, that you have new passions, new desires, and you at least uh, struggle with the old nature. There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit that we talked about last week, uh, and in the, actually in the prior week before that. So again, listen to Romans chapter 6, verse 20, after Paul has firmly anchored the Christian in uh, Rome into their baptism and saying that they've been set free because of their baptism. He then says this, For when you were slaves of sin, chapter 6, verse 20, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, notice he says you have been and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the same essential thing that Paul is saying in this passage that uh, as we sow to the Spirit, and, and really we have to think about who's doing the verbs there, as the Spirit almost works, uh, forces us, uh, because our flesh is, you know, not going to do it. Our, our flesh, you know, the, the, when we think about ourselves as these dual people, simul, the simul, simul justus et peccator, simultaneously saint and sinner, uh, sometimes the way it's thought about is that the sinner is sort of cooperating with the spirit. No, no, no. The, the spirit is constantly killing the sinner, is constantly killing the flesh, and thereby causing us to walk in step with the spirit. <laughs> so it's just, it's a very important distinction because otherwise you get this impression that it's like God's doing 60% of the work and I'm putting in the other 40 and we're going to co-labor together in this. No, you're not because your new man uh, is going to be driven and your old man is going to be killed. So sanctification looks like your old man dying. Uh, it looks like the flesh being killed and that's the way this all works out. All right, let's listen. Third one, a Christian sows in generosity and reaps the joy of helping others. Listen to verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It may not seem like it at first, and we may get very impatient waiting, but as we continually give to those in need around us, in due season good comes out of it. And we might not see the results of it. We don't give because of the results of it. We're not giving motivated by, uh, you know, hey, I, I gave you a hundred bucks and I want to see a change, young man. No, it's we're giving, trusting that God is going to use it 
even beyond ways that we can possibly see right now. And so Paul says in verse 10, So then, as you have opportunity, do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So he, he makes a distinction here. Paul says, I want you to just focus on trying to do good to everyone. You want to know what the Christian life looks like. It looks like really wanting to serve and love your neighbor <laughs> through your vocation, through your various vocations in life. So you serve and love your neighbor well. You do good for your kids when you, when you discipline them and when you guide them and when you feed them. And you serve your neighbor well when you... When you go to work and you try to do the best job you can and you serve your neighbor, your neighbor well as a husband or a wife, when you, uh, you, know, you, you share the household duties together and you take care of each other and you're intimate with each other, all of these things are the means by which God is causing us to do good for one another in life. And that is what Paul is urging us to do. And he makes a distinction here. He says, and especially for those who are of the household of faith. And, and I don't think that this means like, so if you have to choose between, you know, doing good for the church as opposed to doing good for somebody on the outside that you, you know, ignore the person on the outside. But I think Paul just wants to emphasize how important your connection is to the body of Christ and how significant that bond is that you have in common because of Christ. Okay, fourth thing, and then we're going to wrap it up. What does he say a church must sow? Lastly, in verses 11 through 16, a church must, must, must continue to sow the gracious gospel of Christ alone in order to reap a new creation. Listen again to verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. This was uh, Paul's way of putting his stamp of approval on his letters. Uh, he didn't probably... Uh, write the whole letter himself. He probably dictated it. Um, he probably dictated it to what was known as a manuensis, like a secretary at the time. Um, but in this particular verse, he probably wrote out this sentence so that they would know it's authentic. It's like his signature. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Uh, there's also another way of understanding it. That yes, it's his signature, but it could also be, and I think this is a very distinct possibility, that he's saying, pay attention, because this is the big idea of the letter. What's coming up now? First, he exposes the reasons for the false doctrine that has infiltrated their churches. Verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Now, if you remember throughout the whole epistle, Paul is arguing with a group known as the Judaizers. Basically, they said, yeah, sure, except Jesus is Messiah. That's good. That's fine with us. But Everyone that comes into the church must be obedient to the law of Israel in order to be truly saved. They must be circumcised in order to be a part of the family of God. And so at the end of his letter, Paul is calling them out for their real motives behind their view, and that is avoiding the discomfort of separating from their former life. After all, to go all the way and say Christ is enough in himself gets them persecuted back in Jerusalem from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
On the other hand, what could be more pleasing than to show Gentile converts getting circumcised? It's all about avoiding discomfort, and if you think about it, that's almost always the reason for false doctrine infiltrating the church, discomfort. It, it may feel temporarily easier to sort of round out the edges a little bit to fit in, but we do it at our peril because Scripture's truth is God's truth, and God's truth brings life. Your insistence that Jesus is the way may isolate you. Your insistence that God is the creator of this world and is not the byproduct of random chance evolution will isolate you. Your stand that the Bible alone is the word of God will isolate you. Your stand for the miraculous may isolate you. There's all sorts of issues that may isolate you. And Paul says, um, don't be like the Judaizers and give in to that. And then Paul tells them, the ultimate source and nature of true doctrine. Verse 14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The doctrinal seed you sow must be that. I have said this so many times in my pastoral ministry. If people walk out of my church figuring out how to look good on the outside but don't boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care how good they look on the outside. I feel like that is a failure. I could care less about making moral people. There's a thousand programs for making y'all more moral on the outside. What the world needs is saved sinners that boast in the cross alone. That is the power. Only that can cause you to look at your neighbor not as in need of moral improvement, better or worse programs, better or worse politicians, but in fact dead and in need of a savior to resurrect them. That's what Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Sound doctrine makes it possible to see your neighbor as they truly are, dead and needing life. He continues, verse 15, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Only gospel-centered doctrine can bring about true life to sinners. Only the gospel makes them a new creation, completely forgiven, whole and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Only gospel-centered doctrine results in peace, inner and outer. Only gospel-centered doctrine results in mercy. Only gospel-centered doctrine can incorporate dead sinners into the family of God, the Israel of God. Only gospel doctrine results in true life. And that's what we want to be about, and that's what Paul wanted the Galatians to be about. He didn't want them to get distracted from the prize, and the prize, the prize is Jesus. The prize is knowing that the forgiveness of sins is real, not just for me, but for them too. And that we have the ability to go out and proclaim that, to not get distracted by anything else, but to let that be our aim, our focus, our message, and thereby our power. That's where it comes from, folks. The cross of Christ alone. May we be people that boast in nothing else. All right, I'm done preaching at you this morning. My voice is a little hoarse now. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm going to go over next um, next Tuesday. Um, so if you have any ideas, feel free to write them in the comments. I'll consider them. And uh, anyway, looking forward to being with you again next week. Have a great week. God bless you.